Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob podcast feed. This week, I'm joined by Chef Matt Harper. He's the new executive chef over at Commune here in Columbus, Ohio. Matt has bounced around from a few different restaurants, previously worked at Sahav in Philadelphia, which is a super famous and super important restaurant. I think it was named one of the most or the most important restaurant in America a few years ago. I think it was like USA Today or Esquire Magazine or something like that. But he also ran the kitchen over at Kensington Quarter, worked in Baltimore, grew up in Arkansas, found his way to Columbus, Ohio, uh, was working a bit on a farm, and him and Joe Galati kind of got in touch and wound up being the executive chef over there. So he's been running the kitchen for a few months. Haven't been a, a bunch of menu changes. Uh, they've put out some different chef features, which were all amazing. I mean, we had one of them, which was like in dive and orange, and it was probably the highlight of the evening um, in terms of dishes and everything. We went back a couple weeks ago. Uh, they're still on their winter menu right now. So we wanted to try some stuff that we weren't able to try before. You know, obviously some old favorites, you know, the Koji Pita, the, the bread and spread is always a kind of a go-to for us. There's been some some minor changes to some of the dishes, all in positive ways. I think the chocolate avocado cake, which is like a staple on their dessert menu. I think it's one of the original dishes it has been on there forever, I think, since they opened. It's plated a little differently now. There's a nice crisp edge, almost like if you got the corner slice out of the brownie pan kind of deal. The Koji pita uh, fits a little bit nicer with the plate that it arrives on, but there's still plenty of pita for all the different spreads that you get with it. So they've been doing, you know, tinkering with a few things here or there. So we're super excited to see what happens when you get to spring and summer and you get all this other produce, you know, your tomatoes, your strawberries, you know, all that stuff uh, kind of comes back in season with all the farms around Columbus. And you're not strictly relying on root vegetables to kind of make up your menu and everything like that, because that's probably the toughest uh, group of vegetables that you get to work with. And then you're also a vegetarian and vegan restaurant, so it makes it even harder too as well. But the changes have all been minor, but great. And we're super excited to see what Matt brings to the table once we kind of get a little bit warmer weather and everything towards that. You can follow him on Instagram at Matthew Eric Harper. Eric is E-R-I-K. That's all one word. Also follow Commune at Commune underscore restaurant on Instagram too as well. You can follow us on Instagram at SpoonMob. Twitter and Facebook we're on at SpoonMob1, but we mainly run everything through the Instagram account. Check out the webpage spoonmob.com. We got all the guests from the podcast on there. Also parts now known rankings, episode rankings we've been doing. That podcast has been on a bit of a hiatus due to some scheduling, holidays, the COVID kind of outbreak and everything like that. That podcast is still around. It is coming back. Uh, Next episode is the Montana episode. So make sure to watch that if you're kind of watching along with us. If you haven't listened to any of those episodes, it's me and Ben. Uh, He's a great friend of mine. And we kind of rewatch the episodes. You know, also it's a little topical of what's kind of going on in the world too as well. So we were trying to kind of maybe avoid some of the Joe Rogan controversy, but that doesn't seem like we're going to be able to do that with this one. So waiting it out would take too long. So we're just going to say F it and wind up doing it and keeping it moving. So uh, those usually come out on Wednesday. Chefs and Guests is out on Thursdays. Appreciate all the support and everyone uh, listening so far. Continue to help spread the word. Without further delay, here is my conversation with Chef Matt Harper, the new executive chef over at Commune here in Columbus, Ohio. Thanks again for coming on, taking some time out of your off day here to come on the podcast. Appreciate it. I know you're new to Columbus. We'll get into that. I have some questions about that since you've been here for about six, eight months or so. See how you're liking it so far. But start where we start as we normally do, you know, all the way kind of back at the beginning of your career and everything. I mean, you're originally from Arkansas, right? Correct. Yeah. Outside of Memphis and like the Northeast corner, close to Jonesboro. Yeah. 
I've only been to Arkansas once. I kind of drove through the state basically on my way from Tennessee to Kansas. What is typical Arkansas life like? Because when I drove through, I mean, it was pretty brown, pretty gray. It's like definitely in the South. It's definitely very rural for the most part outside of Little Rock in the middle of the state. And then you have Jonesboro, which is like a small college town where I grew up close to. That's relatively close to Memphis, about an hour from Memphis. And then you have the University of Arkansas on the other side of the state up in like the Ozarks. That's really beautiful up there. So that's another kind of little college town. But everywhere in between is very rural and kind of not a lot going on. So how did you get start cooking then? I mean, you know, Arkansas isn't exactly a, uh, from my knowledge, a state known for its culinary acumen or anything like that. I'm sure there's some great restaurants spread out in between in the different cities, you know, you can find, but it doesn't really come up on the map, you know, too much and in any sort of awards or anything. So how did you kind of get started cooking? My first job in high school, really, uh, I was probably like 16 and I started working at Sonic just because that's where all my friends were working. So they were like, you need someone else in the kitchen? Are you interested? And I was trying to make some money, some like make some money to buy gas, run around, you know, have a good time at 16. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll sling burgers at Sonic. So that's really kind of how I, my first experience in the kitchen. But then I had grown up with my, my grandparents cooking at home. A lot of just like the classic southern staples like chicken and dumplings and white beans and ham and all of the great like cooking very seasonally which i really enjoyed growing up your grandfather had a farm right and you spent a lot of time there yeah so my grandfather he was in large-scale agriculture up a little bit further north like close to the missouri border uh, but he had acres and acres and acres of farmland where he would grow soybeans and rice, wheat. So, yeah, I, I mean, from the age of like 12, I, were, I started spending summers out there with him, working on the farm. Like I was driving a tractor at the age of like 13, like plowing fields and like driving these giant like rice field trucks out to the rice land to like sell the rice there it was it was nuts i was like riding around the back roads in like a a giant truck at the age of like 13 or 14 and i probably shouldn't have been doing it doing it but uh it was fun nonetheless so did you ever consider going into farming instead of becoming a chef i really enjoyed doing it but the large-scale agriculture it wasn't it wasn't for me i i had a great time doing it but I knew that I didn't necessarily want to live out in the middle of nowhere. I needed I needed to be close to other things. And I as I was graduating high school, I knew that I didn't really want to stay in Arkansas. I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to be exposed to other things and I knew that I if I stayed in Arkansas, I wasn't going to get that. So then you wind up going to college for journalism, right? before you even decided to become a chef. What was your original career thought? In high school, I was the editor of our high school newspaper, and I was really into journalism and into writing. And I thought that maybe I'll, I'll try that out in college. So I, I started at Arkansas State, which is in Jonesboro, pretty close to where uh, I grew up, and then um, got into it, but realized that it wasn't going to fulfill me long term and then I needed something a little bit more 
hands-on, get my hands dirty, I guess. So after that, you decided to go to culinary school. You went to the Art Institute of Atlanta, correct? Yeah. So after spending about two years at Arkansas State, I decided that I really needed to get out of Arkansas. And if I was going to do it, that was going to have to be the time. I ended up moving to Atlanta, starting culinary school, kind of on a whim. I didn't really, outside of working at Sonic for a few years in high school, I really didn't have an experience But I figured I didn't really I didn't know anybody in Atlanta. So I figured that starting in the culinary school would be a good kind of foot in the door to the restaurants in the city, the Chevy, and then just kind of expand on what very, very little knowledge I had of cooking at the time. Was there a moment that kind of led to you wanting to go to culinary school and like become a chef? I mean, not really. It's just like whenever I was trying to decide like, all right, first and foremost, I just want to move out of Arkansas. Like what options do I have? Like, what do I want to go into? Do I want to continue down the journalism road or which wasn't really fulfilling me the way that I thought it would? Or do I want to switch into something that I could be a little bit more creative at? I just kind of landed on going to culinary school without any real rhyme or reason behind it. So if someone in your kitchen now came up to you and was like, hey, you know, I'm serious about being a chef and working a little bit, I was thinking about going to culinary school, what would you recommend to them? I mean, based on my experience, I feel like I got lucky because they don't teach you the, the amount of dedication and hard work that goes into being a chef, the hour and all of that. So I, I feel like I got lucky and I had the right work ethic to make it work. But I, I would feel like I would suggest to them making sure that this is exactly what you want to do, making sure that you understand the amount of work that's going to go into it. And then once you know that, once you know, like, this is the day to day grind that you're going to go through, maybe don't go too hard on student loans. Starting off as a cook, your salary is not great. Depending on what city you're in, the living expenses can be insane. So like, don't take on too much of a student debt. There's great community college programs. There's great like opportunities out there that don't cost a lot of money that can give you a good kind of baseline to start with, make you familiar with like holding a knife, like kitchen structure, but then also just like obviously staging, working in kitchens can give you a lot of those things, but maybe in a less, um, I don't know. They don't really ease you into it the way that a culinary school do. Culinary school kind of like babies you in a sense of like, this is how you hold a knife for an entire class. This is how you cut this for an entire class. Whereas if you're on a stage, more often than not, you're expected to have a base level of information. And if you don't have that, there can be little patience for you in the kitchen. So after you graduate culinary school, you're still in Atlanta. And then you wind up at Empire State South with Chef Ryan Smith. Uh, Yeah. So whenever I had a full-time job working in a cafe while I was in culinary school. So that was good to kind of, I was working on paying off my student loan debt while I was in school already. But yeah, and then as soon as I finished, I realized I wanted to do something a little bit more chef driven. I had a friend that I worked with at the cafe who was starting a job at Empire State South and kind of put me on. And yeah, started at Empire, like basically after I finished at the Art Institute after two years. Jason Zygmunt worked with Ryan Smith there for a number of years. So you're at the restaurant, you work your way up from line cook eventually to executive sous chef. 
what was the biggest challenge during your tenure there since that was kind of like the first like full-blown restaurant kitchen that you kind of worked at? I started at the bottom. I was a, I didn't start as a dishwasher, but I started as like a AM line cook, switching to dinner service and then switching to a sous chef position. There was a, a time where I was interim pastry chef in between a, a pastry chef switchover. Um, I did a lot of the butchery at one point. So it was like at MJ South, I was exposed to, to so many avenues, so many techniques that I feel like most cooks don't experience at one singular restaurant. So after my time at uh, Empire State South, I love working for Hugh. And after Ryan left, uh, Chef Josh Hopkins took over and I, was, I worked with him as well. So it was like a great experience overall. So you're bouncing around, you're kind of picking up all these skill sets while you're there. At any point when you're kind of touching on like butchery or pastry or anything, did you think, oh, maybe I kind of want to go down this avenue and maybe become a pastry chef? Or I know that's like a very unique example, like not a whole lot of people want to make that switch, I think. Is that something that ever kind of crossed your mind or were you still like, I just kind of want to pick up all these different skills and everything and still eventually kind of run my own kitchen one day? Yeah, at that time, I was just a sponge. I would soak up much information as I could just to try to make myself the best well-rounded chef that I could be and have the option to down the line kind of become more specialized on what that kind of really appealed to me. Or if I just wanted to be a chef, be able to help individuals on my team, whether it's like butchers or pastry chefs kind of expand on their knowledge by me having a pretty good grasp of that as well. Working at Empire State South, looking back on it, was that, I guess, a great starting point for your career compared to like other people in the industry that you know of, you know, maybe they started off somewhere that like wasn't as nurturing or, or didn't have as many avenues for things for you to learn coming up. You know, you're still in Atlanta, but it's relatively close to, you know, home and everything. Was there even like a better option for you to start somewhere? Or was that like looking back on it? Like, thankfully, I started there kind of thing. Yeah, looking back on it, it was it was the place that I needed to be. The amount of information that I learned, not only from the chefs there, but from the cooks, from the pastry department, from front of the house, from the bartenders, it was just a great learning environment. And I was, I'm grateful to be a part of it. The amount of information that I learned at that singular restaurant from being there for four years. I mean, a lot of people don't learn that at like four or five different restaurants. How'd you wind up in Philly? What led to that? My partner at the time, who's still my partner now, she was applying to grad schools across the United States from like San Diego, California to Lina, Philadelphia. And she ended up getting in at Drexel in Philadelphia. So at the time we were just dating and she was like, do you want to move to Philly with me? At that point, I'd been at Empire for four years. I was having a great time, but I knew that it was time for me to branch out, do something a little different explore maybe another cuisine, expand on me just working in a new kitchen. And I was ready, ready to kind of grow in my career. So I was like, yeah, let's go. And we ended up moving to Philly. Was that the first time that you saw snow? It would snow often in Arkansas, Atlanta, not so much. There was one like really big ice storm that kind of like shut down Atlanta. One time people were stranded on the roads and stuff. It wasn't the first time that I saw snow. It was the first time that I had to know about my day-to-day life while dealing with the snow. 
and the aftermath where it's not even snow anymore. It's just like sludgy, icy, dirty, weird stuff on the sidewalk everywhere. When you guys wind up in Philly, how did you go about finding your next job? Once you knew she was going to grad school at Drexel, did you just start sending out emails or resumes to places or how did you kind of go about that? Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I was talking with you. I was like, listen, I'm moving to Philly. Is there anyone that you know there? Is there any restaurant that you would recommend? And then from there, I just shot some people some emails. I went up and staged and I ended staging really only at, at Zahav because based off of their menu and their cuisine, it was like, I think this is really where I want to go. So I ended up flying to Philly and spending a few days there, staging as a hob one night. And I was just kind of like thrown in there on the line. And at the time they like had their busiest night ever, which was like over 300 covers. And yeah, my first night on a stage, I was just kind of like bouncing from station to station, helping people play, helping people knock stuff out and not really knowing the cuisine, but just kind of like jumping in there and having a good time. And I knew after the stage, I was like, this is where I want to land whenever I get to Philly. At Empire State South, new American kind of Southern cuisine, but then like Zahav is Israeli Middle Eastern cuisine. Was that a big difference for you to kind of have to grasp like different flavor profiles? Like obviously that stuff you wanted to learn, but they're pretty vastly different when you compare them. Yeah, I mean, there there are similarities, but they're definitely pretty different. Whereas like working at Empire State South, it does have that like Southern backbone, which I was familiar with being raised and growing up in the South. But then moving to Zahav, it was like everything was new. All the spices being used were like so much more and, and such different combinations. And just the terminology of everything and the ingredients. It was interesting. It was definitely a learning curve, but it was something that I was for. I was I was looking for something different, something out of out of my comfort zone. Let me grow and kind of expand. And during your time at Zahav, I think like the restaurant kind of blows up, basically gets all these accolades, becomes one of the best restaurants in the entire US. What was it like being in the kitchen as like all these different accolades come in? Like there's, you know, James Beard stuff, but then it's like Esquire magazine might have named it like number one restaurant in America, like stuff like that. Like it's all just kind of rolling in. Is it like shocking at first? Then you kind of get used to it or is everybody still like super excited every time something else happens or? It was all very exciting. It was it was overwhelming. There's just like the day-to-day grind of it. It was so busy all the time, which is a great problem to have. It was just like day in, day out, you know that the restaurant's going to be packed out and you're going to be busy, which is a great problem to have. And it was all exciting. All the accolades were great. Yeah, it was a, a great time to be there. Did any of that stuff ever change anything? You know, obviously probably the restaurant got busier as more of those kind of publications and stuff rolled things out. But did anything change in terms of the amount of people like looking to stage there while you were there? Like all of a sudden it was like, oh, normally you get like 20 applications or whatever. And now we have like 500 people or anything like that. The stages never really blew up. They may have after I moved on, but like we had a pretty tight crew. It was a large crew, but I mean, there was definitely some stages that didn't work here and there. But for the most part, it was just like we had a solid kitchen crew all getting like paid hourly wages and and no one was really a lot of people coming in want to work for free. It was just kind of like our solid crew team banging it out night after night. 
Did you ever consider moving to some of the other restaurants that they have within that restaurant group at any point? Or were you just strictly like, this is where I'm good. I like this. This is where I want to learn. I wasn't really interested in any other restaurant. I was be with the company was going to be as a hub. And yeah, it reached a point where like I was kind of ready to do my own thing. It was coming up on like a little over two years and just the the workload at Zahav, it just requires so much out of you that I needed something that would bring a little bit more balance to my life while also giving me like an avenue to kind of do my own style of food. And then so eventually you wind up going over to Kensington Quarters, which is also in Philly. How did that transition take place? Were you just kind of like ready to experience something different? And then found out they were looking for an executive chef. For sure. I from So at Zahav, I moved my way up from, I started as a line cook. And after a few weeks, I was promoted to a sous chef and then into a CDC position. So I was running the day-to-day operations of Zahav. So I felt pretty comfortable with like being able to run my own kitchen. I just was ready. The growth would be like creating my own style of food. But really what kind of brought me to Kensington Cordes was they were looking for a chef, a friend of mine in the industry, like connected me with them, did a few interviews and a tasting. And it just like seemed like a really good fit. It had a very similar style to Empire State South where like local sourcing was very kind of in the foreground of their ethos. Had a great butchery program, did everything over like wood burning grills. We had a wood burning oven. So it was just a lot of toys to play with. And I just thought it would be a good fit. So yeah, joined the team there. When you're doing your tasting and your interviewing, do you remember what you cooked? I don't. I don't remember at the time. When a restaurant's looking for a new executive chef in a big market like Philly, you probably had a, a handful of people that were interested in the opportunity at least. Did you ever find out other people that you were up against that like you beat out for the job? Um, no, I don't remember hearing anyone else. Like, I don't remember talking to the owner about who else he was looking at. I think I remember he, him talking about like speaking with someone, but them not necessarily thinking that it was a good fit for them. So they backed up and then it all happened relatively quick though. I think it was a quick turnaround. And then once we met and once we vibed, I think they just kind of, we both on both ends thought that it was the fit. Up to that point too, like when you're working at Zahav and then eventually you start at Kensington, are you using your off time to kind of develop potential dishes for whenever you do get that executive chef job? Or is it just once you actually got the executive chef job, it's like, all right, kind of had some rough ideas, but now I actually got to like put it on the plate, find out if this works kind of thing. So there was this supper club in Philly that I worked with a, a decent amount, especially whenever I was at Zahav. Whenever I was at Zahav, I wasn't making a ton of money. So I was like, constantly trying to find like side hustles to make a little bit more cash just to sustain myself in Philly. And my partner is like in grad school. So they, she has a stipend, but it's like, it's like barely enough to survive. I started doing this supper club called Boku here and there where we would do like tasting menus out of this guy's really nice apartment. Yeah. I started just kind of experimenting with a lot of things and kind of finding my style of food and figuring out what I wanted my food to look like and what I wanted to bring to the plate. So when you're doing this like in-home supper club thing, like is that between the two restaurants? That was on the side, completely on the side. It was like on my off days, the half 
So I would spend like 70 hours working as a hob and then have Monday and Tuesday off and prep on Monday and execute Tuesday and then just go back to work on Wednesday and work another 70 hours. It's crazy to think of that I worked that much, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. There's been a handful of people, and I think it's getting more and more commonplace now, but that have started kind of a underground restaurant or, or whatever you want to call it. And then have expanded into like a brick and mortar. Did you ever consider eventually fleshing that out and it becoming its own thing? Or were you always like, I just want to use this as kind of experience and development, stuff like that. And then eventually do my own thing from there. Yeah, I was just kind of using it as a as a playground to kind of play around with some things and have a good time and make some some money on the side under the radar, you know? So with Kensington, that was a meat-focused restaurant, right? Meat was definitely an important part of the menu, but I wouldn't say that was like, that was all. We definitely sourced and worked closely with a ton of great uh, farmers in the Philly, Jersey, Maryland region. Was that something that was appealing with the opportunity since you're coming from Zahav, which is very, very vegetable, heavy vegetable forward? I mean, there are some meat dishes there, but I mean, they're famous for all their different spreads and their hummus and all that stuff too as well. Yeah, it was definitely appealing. I think that based off of the butchering skill that I learned at Empire State South, I definitely wanted to revisit that and kind of hone in on it a little bit more. I always enjoyed like making charcuterie and really whole animal butchery, making sure that you're utilizing the entire animal, but then being able to bring all that I learned in the kitchen to create dishes was an important part of that as well. I think it was while you're there, you were named to Zagat's 30 under 30 list. No, Zagat was in Atlanta whenever I was at Empire. We'll go backwards for a second then. So when that comes out, how did you find out about that? The Zagat Guide is very big city, New York heavy. But I mean, maybe that's not the case. Maybe it is a big thing in the South. I'm not sure. But when that all kind of came out, did that help open some doors for you eventually down the road? I mean, it was fun. It was, there was a great, great group of people in Atlanta that I got nominated with, but I didn't, it wasn't anything that, it was like something nice to put on my resume, but it wasn't particularly anything door opening, I would say. With Kensington, it's your first executive chef job. What was the biggest challenge? You worked as a sous chef and stuff before then. So you've been managing other cooks in the kitchen and everything, but being the executive chef running the entire kitchen, what was the most difficult thing or biggest challenge that you encountered with your first stint? So my biggest challenge in the first, like first starting Kensington quarters was like trying to not only a menu that I I felt was cohesive and very seasonally focused, but making sure that the dishes that I would create, making sure that the cooks were properly trained and being able to execute them. So not only keeping up with the prep of it, but just really, I found myself spending more and more time teaching and, and teaching and training people to make sure that my menu and my menu items was like, were being produced the way that I wanted them to. Um, and luckily I had a great team there. I had a great couple sous chefs, Freeman and Kevin McWilliams, who were integral in, in my success there. And I can't thank them enough for all the help and hard work that they put in while we were at the Cube. So then eventually you wind up in Baltimore. How did that all kind of come about? And another following my girlfriend around, she finished up, she was 
towards the end of her PhD program at Drexel, towards the end of it, she's required to do an externship at a children's hospital. We ended up moving to Baltimore, which was very interesting. So you moved to Baltimore. I think the restaurant you wind up working at is Orto, right? Italian cuisine kind of focused. Yeah. So moving to Baltimore, I kind of took some time off. Transition from Kensington Quarters into moving was a little bit weird because March hit and we closed down. I knew that there was a potential for me to be leaving. There was a slight possibility that she may stay in and work at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. That didn't end up happening. She, we ended up, she ended up getting into Johns Hopkins for her externship. So it was me shutting down the kitchen at KQ, learning that we were going to move, letting KQ know, and then still trying to help them with their reopening process or their plans to reopen, while also moving to Baltimore and then trying to figure out what my move was from there, trying to find a place that fit while the country and the restaurant industry is like reeling from the pandemic. How did you wind up at Orto? Were they just looking for an executive chef or was that through connections or? Kind of moving to Baltimore, I was just reaching out to people, doing research and like trying to figure out what restaurants looked fun, looked like they were cooking good food, doing the right things emailing people and yeah, connected with the owner and just went from there. It was a weird time for them dealing with primarily to-go stuff, transitioning back and forth, being able to do indoor dining, able to only do outdoor seating, to only to-go food. It was a, a lot of thinking on your feet, having to change week to week, day to day. But yeah, it was definitely quite the learning experience. And then they wound up putting the restaurant up for sale, right? And, and it kind of closed from there. I was only there for about a year, which we kind of anticipated on it certainly being a year. There was the possibility of her staying on Johns Hopkins for another two years to do her postdoc, but she ended up getting her postdoc here at Children's National in Columbus. So that was the instigation to kind of move out here. But yeah, once I left, my sous chef there was promoted to executive chef. But due to COVID, all the hardships surrounding that, yeah, the owner just felt like it was time to sell. So you wind up moving to Columbus because she winds up at Nationwide Children's Hospital here. When you make it to Columbus, how did the opportunity with Commune come about? I mean, did Joe or Brooks find you and reach out to you? Were you kind of looking at different restaurants to, to see who needed an executive chef or a sous chef or something like that? Like, how did it all come together? Um, so whenever I first moved to Columbus, I was debating on what I wanted to do, whether I even still wanted to be a chef while I was here. Um and I actually started working on a local organic vegetable farm during the summer, front axle farm with uh, Evan Axelbaum, like a few days a week, which was really refreshing. I think that once the once COVID hit, it kind of like being able to take a step back from the kitchen and being able to kind of really focus on myself and what what I wanted to do and how I wanted to kind of become more of a well-rounded person and not just think about cooking all the time, not just 
think about working all the time and what else did I want to achieve and explore. And I think that with all the, the hardships of COVID, I definitely think that realizing that I needed to explore other avenues that made me happy. I started working on the farm, which was great. Being outside in the sun, in the rain, in the cold, in the heat, I found that very fulfilling. But I knew that that was like a very kind of short-term project, so to say. Knowing that once winter hit, he wasn't going to need me there. There weren't there. He wasn't going to be growing anything. And I started like reaching out to some restaurants. I lived just down the street from Commune. We grew things and sold them from front axle to commune. So I kind of had a a connection with the restaurant through that. And then I just shot him an email and was like, Hey, would you guys happen to be looking for a chef? And they were like, yeah, we are. Um, Let's meet up and talk and see. So you start at commune and commune, I'm assuming is the first, I mean, Zahav is probably the closest, but first kind of vegetarian vegan restaurant that you've worked at, which in my opinion, it's the hardest cuisine to cook because you can't really rely on certain items, you know, certain dairy items or animal fat, stuff like that when you're cooking it. So is that something that's still a challenge for you, even having experience cooking plant-forward cuisine kind of in your resume? It's the next level almost. Yeah, I think definitely pushing into vegan territory is not always easy, but I definitely had a ton of experience cooking vegetarian. So I felt pretty comfortable in it. And I didn't think that it was going to be like too much of a learning curve because I was ready to jump in and kind of, I mean, to me, like cooking vegetables are are so much fun, especially like whenever you are going from like growing said vegetables to like buying the same vegetables that you're growing to like seeing them on the plate headed out to the gas it's like you're seeing every single step of the process from like you planting the seed to you pulling this carrot out of the ground to you like preparing this carrot and cooking it and putting on the plate it's like it was a great very rewarding process is there any ingredient spice anything like that that you either haven't used or maybe haven't used that much and you're excited to kind of incorporate into new and future dishes at Commune? Um, I think, I don't know. A, 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 spice is, a spice is hard. I feel like... Not even necessarily a spice, like an ingredient, something that you've either used in the past or been excited about working with. And you're like, oh, maybe I can incorporate it here now where maybe you couldn't before. I, I, I always enjoy working with lots of herbs and stuff. And I think especially in vegetarian cooking, it's, it's definitely benefits to have like a nice i mean at zahav we would put so much herbs and everything from parsley to dill to mint packing things with herbs just gives you another level of brightness and freshness which i think is important especially whenever you like you said you only really have the characteristics of the vegetables that you're cooking and you don't have necessarily the same level of fat that you normally have with like meats and stuff like that but i think working with herbs is great Nasturtium, I love. Lemon verbena, I love. And dill are like some of my favorites. Which is the hardest season to create dishes from? You know, your winter, spring, summer, fall. 
most people would feel that summer is probably the easiest. It's kind of the height of the growing season for vegetables, fruits. Which of those four is probably the most challenging or difficult where you really have to figure like, all right, how am I going to make this root vegetable like really stand out? Yeah. Winter, especially being in a vegetarian restaurant, winter for me is the hardest just because whenever you're creating a menu, you want it to be cohesive and you want it to kind of like feel like if no matter what dishes you're ordering, you want them to feel like they're connected and that there's kind of a line running through the menu. And whenever you're limited with the amount of ingredients that you can source, it makes it harder and makes you have to a little bit harder to kind of keep things fun and keep things fresh whenever you don't have the wide variety of vegetables and fruits that you have, say in spring or summer. Yeah, winter was definitely the hardest. I would say my favorite is probably fall because you have that transition between summer Heading into winter, you still have the great vegetables. You have like baby, you still have tomatoes, but you have like awesome baby root vegetables, tons of great greens. But winter, winter is hard. Were there any additional challenges, you know, with moving to a a new city again during the pandemic? You moved from Philly to, to kind of Baltimore already once, but moving from Baltimore to Columbus, or was it just pretty standard? At a certain point, you get like used to moving. You're like, you know, the motions to go through, but meeting new people is hard, especially like as you grow older, being in the kitchen, like you create great relationships within the kitchen. But when it comes to meeting people outside the kitchen, it's, it's hard. Just the workload, being in a new city, finding time outside of your schedule to, to just make a point to get yourself out there. But yeah, moving it, moving to a new city has its upsides, but it also has its, its downsides as well. I mean, you've probably been in Columbus for what, like three quarters of a year, like eight, nine months, something like that, probably? Yeah, I think around seven or eight, I think, yeah. What are your thoughts on Columbus so far, with it being the first time you've ever been here? Any standout highlights, any things you wish the city had, but doesn't? Um, it's fun. I'm still exploring. I need to make more of a point to kind of get out and about on my days off and kind of go out and eat more. I mean, it's weird during COVID, but especially like I'm not like I'm try- trying to stay safe, trying to keep my my staff safe. So I don't want to expose myself. I definitely think that once it starts warming, I can get outside more. I would love to go in the surrounding area and do some hiking, do some foraging, eat at some more restaurants for sure. I think once patio season opens back up, I'll try to make a point to kind of get out and about. But yeah, I'm really just excited to continue to explore the city and see what it has to offer. But yeah, but the, the restaurants that I have been to, I've had a great time and, and want to continue to support them. Is there uh, any favorite kind of things that you stumbled upon, whether it's, you know, I don't know if you've been to Hocking Hills uh, in terms of hiking or like some of the waterfalls we have around the city um, or anything like that, that you've kind of stumbled upon that you're like, oh, that's pretty awesome. Surprised I was here kind of thing. I haven't quite yet. I, my birthday's coming up and I think we may do like a head out to the Hocking Hills and get a cabin and explore a little bit, but that's definitely some of the, some of the next things that I want to do once it starts warming up and like there's probably like three, four inches of snow outside now. So once once the snow melts and it warms up, I definitely want to get out and explore more. But I also want to check out like neighboring cities too. I want to take a trip up to Cleveland, down to Cincinnati, uh, get to Detroit, kind of explore Ohio and the and the Midwest area. Is there anything that you're surprised that Columbus doesn't have from what you've seen so far? 
public transportation or anything that you're like, oh, I thought they would have that. They're a pretty big city. Oh, yeah. I mean, public transportation is, yeah, I was surprised that there's no, there's very minimal. It's just some buses running around, I think. I think there was some trolley, but that it doesn't exist anymore. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I would, it's hard, especially like I've lived in cities. Atlanta is a very car heavy city. I get it. Like a lot of people love to drive. It's easy. But yeah, public transportation is awesome. It's just investing in it, I guess. Will we ever see the pea watermelon salad on the menu? It's on your website. Will we see that pop up at any point? That could be fun. I, yeah, I would be down to do a pea watermelon salad. It was, yeah, that was just like me messing around with my, my neighbor who hap- who is a photographer. And he was like, Hey, I want to kind of expand on my portfolio and do some food stuff. So we were just like playing around and I just kind of like, it was that season between spring and summer where like watermelons were around, but peas were still hanging out. And it was just a kind of a dish that I brought together with, I think, jalapenos and some buttermilk. And I could see that coming back at Commune. I think that that was a fun dish. And I think that it would it would do well there. What's next for you professionally? I mean, obviously, you're at Commune, probably be coming out with some new dishes as the seasons kind of roll over and everything. The menu changes over. So you're definitely, you know, locked into creating new dishes and everything now that you've been at Commune for close to six months or something like that, maybe a little less somewhere around that mark. But do you ever see yourself opening your own restaurant one day? Is that something that you still think about or or based on everything that you've kind of learned throughout the pandemic and being in restaurants for your career too is, you know, is it more like, yeah, I really want to run a restaurant, but I don't want to deal with kind of the, the back office, you know, all the finances and stuff like that? Or I would, I mean, it would definitely need to be in the right place with the right people. I think that I would love to to open my own restaurant, but I, I, want, I just want to cook with my friends. I want to have a good time. And I definitely want to have some sort of farm element connected to very closely to a restaurant. So I think the first step is like really just kind of landing somewhere with my partner, us figuring out like now we don't have to move again every four years, every two years, every year, um, and really just kind of put down some roots in one single place so we can really kind of grow with the community, figure out what we want to do on vegetables and let things grow as they grow and really connect with people. So we got a few more questions for you. This question comes from Chef Jorge Guzman. He's the executive chef over at Sueño in Dayton. And he's got his own restaurant up in Minneapolis. He was the previous guest on the podcast. He left behind, which do you prefer? And you can use this as, you know, either to cook with or to eat, whatever way you want to describe it kind of, but rice or pasta? Uh, I think rice. Yeah. Growing up with my grandpa being a rice farmer, it's like, you appreciate the level of work that goes into producing it. And then so good, so many things. Rice and gumbo is like, that's it. On your grandfather's farm, was that the main focus was rice? Yeah, main focus was rice. It was like mostly rice. And then there was some crop rotation with like soybeans a week, but mostly I would say 70% rice. The only thing that I really know about rice farming is, I mean, you see it over different Asian cultures and communities, countries, but they kind of do it all by hand. I mean, I'm assuming he had a way to automate it. Yeah. So it would essentially be like tilling up the soil and then creating a levee around it, planting. And then like, honestly, I didn't, I don't know, like step by step, but it was like flooding the fields 
and then the rice would grow out and then you would drain the fields. And then from there you would use like combines and stuff for harvesting. Yeah. I had no idea rice farming was like a thing in Arkansas. Along kind of the Mississippi Delta area where I grew up, it's it's uh, one of the largest rice producers in the United States. They, it's like definitely one of the main crops. What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest? Let's leave them with like, what are you doing outside of bin or cooking that has made you a better chef? This next question comes from one of our listeners. Uh, they wrote in, how do you feel about food waste and what, if anything, do you do to minimize it? Food waste is an important thing to manage in the kitchen. I think that it's def- like whenever I was working with like doing whole animal butchery and working with whole hogs, it's definitely something that you learn to like, find outlets on your menu through charcuterie. But now kind of moving into like only plant-based cooking, it's like still utilizing all of the scraps, whether it's through stocks or or finding other avenues to utilize them so you can continue to make money. So any product that you can turn into something else, implement on a dish is, is crucial in becoming a good chef. So we got a handful more questions. We asked these to everybody who comes on the podcast. So compare and contrast across all the episodes for the listeners. Who would you say is the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far? Biggest influence would probably be Hugh Atchison and kind of Empire State South, the avenue that he created there. He's been a great mentor of mine. I'll forever be grateful to have worked at Empire State South. Uh, and all that I learned from not only Hugh, but Ryan Smith, Josh Hopkins, all the other cooks. Yeah, I, I think that that place was and is still very special. And I'm excited to have, uh, have spent time there. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? It's got to be spoons. It's got to be spoons. It's in your name, Spoon Mob. Um, yeah, if you don't have spoons, then tasting your food. And if you're not tasting your food, like, how do you know if it's good? What's one thing in the restaurant you would not fix yourself? Refrigeration. Other than like making sure that my condensers are clean, I, if it, if something goes down, I mean, especially a walk-in, you want to make sure that that gets fixed and it gets fixed fast and it gets fixed right and properly. And you got to have a professional for that. Restaurant you'd recommend that isn't your own. So scenario I usually give somebody gets kind of, you know, stuck at the airport overnight, reaches out to you, you know, you guys are closed, you know, they're reaching out, hey, where should I go eat? And you're like, hey, go check this spot out. Recommend Chapman's. And, and obviously, they're doing a, awesome things there. Um, I've sat at the bar uh, with Joe, and we had a great meal. And he's actually like taking the entire kitchen team there. And we're doing their tasting menu next week, I think. So, yeah, I'm excited about uh, Chapman's and all that uh, BJ and his team's doing there. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. So, place you've never been to, you want to go to, place you've never eaten you want to eat at? So I'm kind of obsessed with, with Mexico. Uh, I've been a few times and it's just one of those places that continue to like pull me back. I just feel like a draw, but there's this place, there's this restaurant in Mexico city called Amelia restaurant. So on Instagram, I like EM dot rest. But the chef there, Lucho Martinez, he's doing super cool stuff. It's like 
Mexican ingredients, Mexican flavors, but presented in like a very like Japanese aesthetic. And it just seemed really, really cool. So that's definitely the restaurant that I is on my travel list. Uh, Oaxaca is definitely my next foray into to Mexico as well. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working? Craziest thing. There was uh, uh, a service one night where I was expoing and we had this large wood-fired grill and my grill cook at the time. So you kind of load up the back of the grill with, with wood and he loaded it up a little too heavy. The flames started getting crazy and started touching the vent hoods on the uh, hood system. And anyone who's worked with like wood, wood fire grills know that like you have like the soot that builds up during service. And once the flames kind of lick this soot on the, uh, the hood system, one of the vents caught on fire. And I see my sous chef at the time kind of run around the backside of the hoods because we had our uh, dishwashing sinks was on the backside of the hoods. And he just kind of reaches up, grabs this vent hood, pulls it out while it's on fire, throws it into the dish sink and extinguishes it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything kind of food wise, whether it's fast food or somewhere in the grocery store that you kind of try and avoid the aisles that you just can't help yourself. Um, when it comes to guilty pleasures, I'm a, I'm a sucker for fried chicken. It's a, it's a go-to of mine, whether it's like on a sandwich in a bucket on a biscuit, like chicken, like I'm, I'm a sucker for fried chicken. Doesn't matter whether it's from a gas station or fast food or homemade or is it fried chicken? Out of the two, which would you say is better, Popeyes or Bojangles? I enjoy both. I'm not picky, but if I if they had two side by side, I would go to I would go to Popeyes. I think we're supposed to get a Bojangles pretty soon. They're supposed to open some locations around uh, the city. Have you had a uh, Raising Canes yet? No, not yet. I'll have to check it out. Favorite dish, favorite thing you've ever cooked, created? Looking back through your career thus far, this is the dish that you can point to that it was kind of like your aha moment. Like you knew you could be a chef, you know, after kind of you created this dish. I think that that's hard because I've, as I've continued cooking, it's it's become less about like creating the dish and then making like, and more about making sure that the people that are, cooking the dish day in and day out have the tools that they need to to do it. So it doesn't matter how good of a dish you can create if you can't teach someone how to make it over and over and over again the exact same way to taste just as good, then it's, it's kind of pointless. So I've become less worried about like making sure that I create the perfect dish and spend more time on making sure that the dishes that I create, I'm putting just as much emphasis on like teaching other people how to, how to execute them. So I think that would be my answer is kind of more leaning towards like, it's just as important to give young cooks the tools to do it themselves. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan. Not everybody is. If you were, is there a moment scene episode that stands out to you the most? If you weren't, is there another culinary personality 
you know, somebody that was on TV, whether, you know, travel host or food show host that you kind of gravitated towards when you were coming up through your career? I, I'm, a, I'm a huge Anthony Bourdain fan. I There's not one individual episode, but I just feel like his entire work and what he contributed to the culinary scene is great from his books to No Reservations, Parts Unknown. I think they're all just great and so influ- influential and kind of showed me that the importance of traveling and exposing yourself to new cultures and new cuisines and and connecting with the people who are creating those things and the importance of that. Where can people find you? Social media, website, reservations, plug everything. Um, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, Matthew Eric Harper, Commune Restaurant. Uh, we're on Parsons. You can make a reservation to our website. Yeah, come through and we would love to cook for you. It's Wednesday through Saturday, right? Wednesday through Saturday. Um, we have plans of doing like a pretty regular monthly sort of wine focus pop-up sort of thing that we're in the works with that we're going to be doing on Tuesdays, but like normal dinner service, Wednesday through Saturday, five to 10. Still doing takeout. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, there are some days that we, we cut it off to depend, depending on reservations, but for the most part, yeah, we still have a pretty substantial to go uh, revenue uh, stream. So it's like, we're going to keep it up. Awesome. Well, I mean, Welcome to Columbus. Looking forward to to some new dishes popping up on the menu that got kind of your stamp on it and everything. So I know a few have already come out, but uh, definitely interested to see once we get kind of closer to spring and everything where everything kind of starts coming back in season, dishes that you're going to create and everything. So really looking forward to that. Always happy that, you know, when we get chefs that move here, you know, from outside the city and just kind of bring a different perspective and, and different influence. I think it kind of helps lift the food scene here in Columbus uh, every time we get somebody new. So it's always awesome to have somebody from the outside coming in. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on. You know, stay in touch. Need any recommendations or anything? Hit me up. Let me know. Try and point you in the right direction best I can. Yeah, looking forward to everything that's to come for you over at Commune. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I look forward to, uh, to making a lot of connections in Columbus. A big thanks again to Chef Matt Harper for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of one of his off days to chat with me about his experiences and his career thus far. Make sure to visit Commune if you haven't. We're super excited to see what they come up with once we get closer to spring and summer and everything. Uh, You can book a reservation. They also do to-go food as well. They're right by Nationwide Children's Hospital, right off Parsons there. Uh, you can park down the street there. Uh, they got street parking, or you can park over in kind of the the parking lot area that's in between. Like, there's an apartment complex, and then that's where like Alchemy. There's like a I think like a yoga studio or something there, and the Crest kind of on the corner. But I think they're going to change that concept into something else. And there's like a CVS and everything like there. That's an open lot. You can park there for free too, as well, or Uber, whatever. Make sure to check them out if you haven't. Follow them on Instagram again, Matthew Eric with a K Harper on Instagram at commune underscore restaurant. Also follow us on Instagram. Check out our website, spoonmob.com. On Instagram, we're just at spoonmob. Check out past episodes of the podcast. Chefs and Guests comes out every Thursday. Parts Thou Known is Wednesdays. Again, that'll be coming back. We're on the Montana episode. will be the next release. Appreciate everybody listening. Continue to help spread the word. You know, every episode kind of keeps growing and growing and growing. So more listeners and downloads and everything. So we really, really appreciate everybody 
who's been a part of this so far and listening to the episodes and everything. If you're new or kind of new to the Instagram, new to the podcast or everything, welcome aboard. Continue to help spread the word. Uh, we're hope you enjoying, you know, everything that we're doing and we're going to keep doing it for the foreseeable future. That's it for this week. And we will talk to you guys next week.